Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Today for Spirit in Action, I want to focus our attention on the potential for change and improvement at the local level via the City Council. Of course, it would be more convenient if problems and possibilities could be addressed just once and for all at the national level, but given that such neat solutions are only rarely possible, it's nice to know that so very much can be improved at the local level. Last week, we talked to those doing the work at the county level, and this week, at the city level. A little background, the city of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where I live, has about 65,000 people and some 11,000 students at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. And and the city is a bit of a progressive hotspot in the state. My thought is that if you, listener, lend your energy and creativity to your city council, we can change this country from the bottom up. In the spring of 2018, Eau Claire had something of a progressive wave in our city elections, which really stepped up the game. So I'll be talking to three members of the city council, Kate Beaton, who is just finishing three years at her post, Andrew Worthman, with 10 years of service and experience, with 10 years experience with 10 years service and experience, and who is currently serving as acting city council president at the moment. But first, we'll start with Jill Christofferson, and we'll meet her in her kitchen to talk about the role she's played, the role she's been playing this past year in transforming Eau Claire from her seat on the city council. Jill, welcome to Spirit in Action. Thank you, Mark. I'm really happy to be with you today. And we're talking about city council and changes here in Eau Claire. And I partly want to talk about that because I'm interested in moving the country in a better way. And so I think that your work, and you, you know, you joined the city council last April, the purpose is to heal the world. Now that's my take on it. Why don't you give me Jill Christofferson's take on what your purpose is in being on the city council? I was asked to run as a progressive candidate for the city council, and it took me some time to discern whether or not that was something I could do, that I was electable, and then did I want to do public work? And the answer that came to me is the gift that I have is connecting people together and connecting people with community resources so that we function better as a community. I saw that as being something that I had to offer in this particular seated council. In Eau Claire, we are so lucky to have young people who are product of this community or have come into this community and found that this is where they want to stay and to use their financial resources, to use their intellectual resources, to build this community into something that's new and vibrant. When you have that kind of leadership stepping up, there's going to be conflict with people who are stepping away from established traditional leadership. It doesn't have to be fractionalized, but there's always that tension and discomfort with that level of change in a community. So you need to have people who are very intentionally sitting in that space, 
building connection, casting a vision that is beyond today, helping to walk in a different way like this leader is expressing this. How do you feel about that? How are you going to react to that? How did you hear that? And those kinds of conversations have to happen in real time, especially in government, because in city government, it's nonpartisan, which means we're not able to have side conversations. All of this conversation happens in real time in front of the community so that you can hear what your representative is saying. We're not bringing a voting block in front of you as though it has been ironed out and it's all very clear to everyone. That conversation is happening in real time so that you can see how an idea advances or how an idea might be a good idea, but it's the wrong time or it needs to be modified. That's really helpful. Fast government is not necessarily good government. You don't totally have to convince me of that because I'm a Quaker and we're used to slow. I mean, when you decide things in unity, you don't decide things in unity in the city council. But once a decision is made, I understand that you have, here's what we decided as the council. How is that presented to you? How is that supposed to be spoken of when you're in part of a a nonpartisan city council? Well, I think that comment that you made is that conversation in real time is the way people express their opinion, where I won't be supporting this because uh, reason, 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 or I am supporting this because reason, reason, reason of how it supports the growth of the community or the economic growth. And then when you cast your vote, the council has spoken. That's where the council is standing. So it's not something that you then vote on in public, in the paper. You don't vote on it again in social media. That has been the council stand, and it doesn't come back in front of council for at least a year. So we do, with a variety of voices, express a variety of opinions, stances, perspectives, but once that vote's taken, that's done. But then when you go to election, I assume those decisions or inclinations come up again. So, for instance, several years ago, there was a motion to ban plastic bags, that the idea was we're going to get rid of grocery stores, etc., handing out plastic bags. That was approved by the city council. And then on the state level, a law was passed prohibiting the city from doing what it already decided to do. I assume that there were some people who were not in favor of the plastic ban, but What do they do in public and in their next election campaign when they are opposed to something that the council has done? Well, there are several aspects of that particular issue that comes to mind. And first of all, I want to make it clear that we're living in a time that partisanship is in all aspects of our government. The city is the one election that is nonpartisan so that You can express your values, but once you're seated, you're not acting on behalf of an organized party. So we're thinking in terms of a nonpartisan election. That issue about the grocery bags is something I don't believe a lot of our citizens are aware of the relationship that the city has to the state government, where the relationship is that of a child to a parent. So the city government we would imagine, is geographically closest to the people that are governing. They are probably communicating more closely with the constituents that they're representing. 
And you can vote based on the values and needs of your community, your municipality. But the state at any time can override that saying, no, that is not a decision that is yours to make. And they can reverse that at any time. It's called local control. And it used to be that the municipality had a great deal of local authority. But in this partisan climate, frequently, you'll see that reversed from the state saying, no, we, we have a different perspective. You have to reverse that decision. I was not aware of that relationship to the state until I ran for office. So from that perspective, then I'm going to say when you're campaigning, what happens is that people do at that time say, this is what I did when I was on council. These are votes that I participated in. These are issues that are coming forward that I support. But that is the point where you'll see the values that I envision, the vision that I cast for our community differs. And you'll say, actually, there were a lot of individuals running for seats that talked about affordable housing and how there's a housing shortage, that people's personal budgets are really stretched by trying to afford what is the market rents or the market prices for houses or the available houses in Eau Claire. So at that point, you can bring a new issue in front of the community saying, this is not in front of council right now, but I think it needs to be in front of council right now. That would be a nonpartisan way of widening a conversation. I think that because of the political climate that we're experiencing, you'll begin to hear more attack language of that council didn't or the leadership doesn't. I would disagree with that. I think it's really our responsibility as local leaders to support the direction and then offer options or place in front of the council both those who are running and those who are already seated, that there are other issues that we want you to bring in front of the staff. Folks, if you just tuned in to Spirit in Action, we're speaking with Jill Christofferson today. She was elected member of Eau Claire City Council back last April. And this is part of an experiment in local governance, I really think. You said, Jill, by the way, that you were contacted because you're of a progressive bent to run for city council. Could you specify what you really mean by that progressive label? What does that mean in terms of what you're aiming for in terms of doing in the world? Progressive candidates are more likely to be in favor of the human aspect of a community. Are the homeless served? Are we leaving them on the street without adequate services or attention? Are we imagining that the wages are enough to support a family of four with two jobs? So you're looking at all aspects, not just the economic health of your community, but the human health of the community. And you're looking at them side by side. Again, in what we're experiencing as our political climate now, it's either or. You can't have economic progress and care for your citizens. But I believe that we have to, that there are times when economic growth is paramount for the health of the community. You need employment, you need expansion, you need new construction so that people have jobs and work and our tax base grows. But we have to look at when is the time appropriate for capitalizing on shifting our focus to bringing everybody ahead so that we're all experiencing some level of wellness. 
when I was campaigning, and everybody should run for office at some point, it is just such a great experience and such a great connection with the community. Because I was running for District 4, that meant I was face-to-face with my neighbors. You live in the district you run in, you're canvassing with your neighbors, people that share your views, people that don't share your views, and you're telling them who you are and what is your vision for Eau Claire. Time and time again, in the West Side, in District 4, I hear people saying, I love what's going on downtown. Downtown is so vital. When is it going to be my turn? When is it going to be something that includes me? Which I think a lot of things that are going on downtown do include everyone, but it's not always perceived that way. So there comes a time when you have to message to everybody. You have to say, this is for you. This is for everybody of all incomes. Are there actions that the council has taken in the last eight months that you feel particularly happy with, proud of, impressed that we've gotten to this point of taking these actions? What has been different in the city council with this whole new leadership that's come in, including you and a number of other people that I'll be talking to? What has this accomplished? There has been a lot of legislation. The one thing that I would point to that reflects this new council is the work that Emily Berge did. I was able to second, be the second on that particular piece of legislation. But Emily really spearheaded this idea that we want wider public input in the public hearing. All of the other public bodies, the school board, the county board, all invite anybody who has something they want to bring in front of the county board to speak at the county board meetings. At the council, there's a public hearing on Monday, and then the legislation follows on Tuesday. It's always been puzzling to individuals who come to the council that you can only speak on those items that are listed for the public hearing, or are on the agenda for Tuesday's legislation. So if you have an idea, or if you have a movement, you would have difficulty getting that in front of council unless it was already on the agenda at some point. So the legislation that Emily Berge fostered is there's now 20 minutes at the end of that public hearing where you can come and you can talk about anything. As long as it's not a complaint against a staff person or something where let's say you're involved in some litigation and you feel that it's unfair. We couldn't hear that because we have no authority in that area. But if you wanted to talk about higher wages, if you wanted to talk about your street, you want to change some kind of policy and you haven't seen it come in front of the council, that would be the time where you could introduce it. So opening up the democratic process is what I would think of what you're saying. That's probably a good description of what you're saying. You mentioned, Jill, the connection with Jonah, and Jonah, for those listening across the country, have no idea what that is. Jonah is a faith-based organization. Faith groups are members of it, and I guess I'd say they work for the welfare of the community as best discerned by those faith groups. In our uh, larger-than-county area, it's called Jonah. At the state level, it's called Wisdom, Gamilio on national level. And these organizations are locally based everywhere. Are you connected with Jonah in any particular way? Thank you, Mark, for clarifying that. You become so familiar with uh, your own resources that you forget that they need to be continually reintroduced. 
I was actually the inaugural president of Jonah, which stands for Joining Our Neighbors Advancing Hope. And as we were trained in what it means to be a community-based organizer, it changed my idea of how community fabric changes and is developed and is strengthened. One of our members introduced these little ideas, people that are familiar with churches or not familiar as members of churches, but everybody knows what charity is. We've all been invited to serve at a soup kitchen or donate money for a cause. But charity, if you imagine people that are drowning and you see them struggling in the river passing by, you throw them a rope and you bring them to shore. That's charity. You're affecting that person's situation at that particular time. Community organizing for justice is going upstream and finding out who's throwing these people into the river and how does our system, how does our institution support that behavior so that people continue to struggle, they continue to be in the water, they continue to float by. So Jonah is a justice organization going upstream to figure out how do we change the structure, change our institutions so that everybody is brought along, that we're not looking aside when people are falling into the river or being thrown into the river or being bumped out of a boat even. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can imagine how people struggle in a community. So the faith communities that are members of Jonah don't act on everything. They act on things that are faith values say are appropriate. So I'm going to offer this as an example of when we were inviting people to be members of Jonah, not everybody could get on board. So it becomes a place where you recognize your values don't intersect there. So that's never going to be something we organize on. And when we were inviting the Catholic diocese to become a member of Jonah, they said no we can't be a member of that because you're going to organize on abortion. And we said, no, we're not going to do that because there are a lot of faith communities that have differing points of view on what Scripture says about that. So we have non-Christian groups that are members of Jonah, which means there are other things that we would maybe not organize on because we don't come together with the same value on certain issues. But one thing that people always, they will talk about the value of human life. So to have people incarcerated for unnecessary lengths of time, or they are not healed in that process, and they are released in a community with no job skills and with no care for their addictions, those are things that we can organize around because we value whole, healthy human lives. Thank you for doing that, and thank you for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thank you, Mark. Even as we have spoken, I feel clearer and more deeply grounded in this direction for Eau Claire. Jill Christofferson is the third of our three city council members we're talking to today for Spirit in Action, and we'll talk to the other two after I remind you that our website is northernspiritradio.org, a website rich with all of the programs of the past 14 years, links to the guests, info on the stations that carry our programs, and an opportunity for you, the listener, to post comments. We love hearing from you. The Donate button is your chance to support this full-time work. Support us, 
Sure, but even more crucial is supporting the kind of community radio stations carrying this program. Such powerful music and news on the community radio that tremendously enriches the community. Now let's head over to a 10-year member of the Eau Claire City Council and acting president of the council, Andrew Worthman, to get his perspective. We'll get Andrew on the phone for this visit. Andrew, thank you so very much for joining me today for Spirit in Action. Well, thank you for having me on, Mark. What does that make now? Ten years you've been on city council? Yep, ten years. So I was reelected three times previously. What led you to dedicate your life to the city council? Because back when you were in college, I think you were active as part of the progressives and Dem leaning. But a lot of people think nationally, and somehow you've gone local. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's just it is. I got involved when I was still at university here in Eau Claire, and a lot of that was focused around the peace effort and the war in Iraq. But I also got involved locally with some of the issues. I think the first thing that kind of comes to mind was our minimum wage fight here locally, and that was led by local group that was advocating to raise the, the minimum wage went to all of the debates, city council debates, went to the city council meeting, and we actually were successful. The city council did raise the minimum wage, and that was at a time when cities could still do that. The light bulb went off in my head. It was, hey, you know, you can get involved with a group of friends and make a big difference in your community, and people can see how their involvement in issues actually matters. And I think that's kind of where my original energy and, and the spark for You know, I want to continue being an organizer. I want to continue engaging folks. And by the way, we can make a difference in the community. And, you know, we're not Madison. Everybody knows Madison, Wisconsin's got this liberal bent. It's kind of, you know, Berkeley of the Midwest or something. But Eau Claire, I think in some ways, is equally liberal. Is that too much of a statement? (laughs) It's interesting because a lot of issues I think we really lead. And whether it's our focus on climate and making sure that we're, uh, you know, going to 100% clean energy by 2050, or whether it's plastic and paper bag ordinance that we brought forward until the state, you know, made it illegal for us to, to do anything on that issue. We're really a leader on a lot of these different things. You know, I think we have our own brand, and I think we do it our own way. But yeah, and we have folks that are involved. It's, it's great. I was wondering about something like the plastic bag ordinance. Again, that was mm-hmm. the idea was to change things here so that we wouldn't have all this plastic accumulating. And that's a sensible, positive thing to do. And then the state, under uh, solid Republican rule, prevented that. Are there any thoughts of revisiting that? I thought one of the ways is you could just simply add a local tax on plastic bags or some other thing that is not prohibited by the state yet. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, and I'll just first point out for listeners is, you know, we had estimated between 30 to 50 million bags being used in our community every year. And because we have two rivers running through our community, if they don't end up in the landfill, they automatically go to our water source. And we knew that when we were starting to work on this issue three or four years ago. What the state did is that they regulated and said, you can't put regulations on paper or plastic bags at all. So as a local government, you can't enact anything. What can still happen and what I think could be successful are education efforts that don't have have any teeth. But I think that there's a level of education that can help in reduction of paper and plastic bag use. You know, so our plan that we proposed was to reduce paper and plastic bag usage by 80% over five years and started with 
benchmark saying if you can reach 45% reduction to education, great. If not, we move to a fee. If we can't get a further reduction with the fee, then we move to a ban. So it was kind of letting the free market, quote unquote, work before moving to um, stronger regulation. Well, we can't really do any of the regulation stuff anymore. So it is really on stores and community groups and efforts of citizens who care about this to kind of take it on that way. I'm pretty sure there must be loopholes out there. I've been observing nationwide (laughs) what's being done about abortion. You can't prohibit abortion, but you can say, well, you have to have certification with this admitting privileges or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So there's any number of ways that one can work around such limitations. Some things you definitely can. And what's interesting is, you know, that's also what can at times spark lawsuits with the state is, you know, maybe that changes under a new governor, but where we were looking at how do we, around living wage, make sure that we do something that's legal that they hadn't thought of, essentially. So, but you're right, Mark. It's sometimes that's a matter of figuring out what we can do. But, you know, I'll just point out to your listeners, it's interesting that we take action on these things to protect the environment. We're one of the leaders to look at a living wage bill and, and that the state constantly looks at Eau Claire and then says, nope, we're going to stop you from doing it. And frankly, it seemed like it was happening once or twice a year where the state legislature was taking away our ability to do things we wanted to do here in our community. You know, it's eye-opening to see that. I've been really excited because of the change at the local level, both on the county and and I've interviewed a few people with respect to the county board and the city council. There was a major change this last year or so. And my question is, how does this look to you from the point of view of someone who's been on the city council for 10 years? How do you see the change as having happened? What has it impacted locally? Well, I come back to this idea that we need a a city council that reflects the diversity that we have in our community, both of age, both of gender, both of, uh, of our ethnic makeup. And so uh, to me, it, it makes sense that we would have a council that looks as it does now. So I think that's sort of the first thing to point out. The second thing I point out is sometimes people are, hey, I, you know, we feel like the city council is not doing a good job or whatever. But I always point back to this is our community and how we voted in April. And sometimes I think it's lost on people that democracy works the way it does and folks are elected. And I think that's a powerful message that I want to remind people who are hand-wringing about our city council. But I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing is that we're more than talk. We've always had a council that will say, yeah, we stand up for living wage. Yeah, we care about our transit system. But this is a council that's actually willing to take action. I'm really proud of that. And I think that's where it's different. And I also would point out that we're a community that is now, again, a place where people want to move to, want to participate, and young people want to stay in. And I think that is reflective of the voices that we have at the table at City Council. And so I don't think it's as much as a progressive versus conservative thing as much as it is a dynamic and forward-looking council that represents sort of a new era for our community. You know, Spirit in Action is broadcast nationwide. There are some 38 stations nationwide that carry our programming from Northern Spirit Radio. So we're hitting a lot of places, and yet I'm talking from this little town in the Midwest, uh, Eau Claire, (laughs) you know, population 60,000 or so. I mean, is the experience that we're having here in Eau Claire transferable to cities all across the country? You know, and I think it is. One of the things that I think we're seeing because of what's happened on the national level is that people are taking action into their hands to realize their local community really helps set a quality of life. And you can do things on the local level, whether it's affordable housing, whether it's caring for the environment, 
you know, this whole movement around 100% clean energy is happening in communities across the, the country. So people are waking up to realize, I actually can make such a difference in my community and it has that larger impact. And that's where I'm thinking that, yes, I don't know if other communities are, are doing the same thing, you know, but what I do know is that it is possible to make a difference in the community. And, you know, I think people are sort of waking up to that, that state and national may not be representing them, but they can still do a lot at the local level. You already spoke, Andrew, about the limits from the state with respect to the plastic bags. Minimum wage was another area where they wanted to overrule. But I think there's some action you took with respect to climate change. Talk about what's been done about that. And was this possible before the increased energy on the local level? Or is there something new that's happening now? No. So the interesting thing about the climate issue is that the local utilities have to be a part of the solution. And so one of the things that we've been doing as a community, the Sustainability Commission, which I helped co-author, has been, you know, official way, a capacity of, as a city of Eau Claire, we've been saying, here are our goals. We represent community members who care about clean energy. They care about carbon emissions and how it's impacting greenhouse gas and climate. So we've helped lend voice to a movement that has then encouraged Excel Energy and others, Oakland Energy Cooperative, to say, yes, we want to step up and be partners because our customers are demanding that we have a different kind of energy. That's part of it. We're setting goals. You know, we can do X amount as a city, but when you get your utility bought in, that's where you move the next step. So that's why it's so encouraging that Excel Energy actually came out and said they want to go to 100% a clean energy portfolio by 2050. They don't have the same carbon emissions a target yet, but we're hoping that, you know, maybe that's something that they will eventually get to. But they're saying they want to partner with us on climate action. And so that's what's amazing about it is it's actually a partnership and it it kind of takes folks speaking up to get that partnership. Have you taken some actions since the new city council has been there since the last elections? Have you taken further steps that were not foreseen as possible before? Actually, the major step was uh, applying for the money to be able to do a climate action plan. The goal was actually set with the old city council, the goal of um, 100% clean energy by 2050. But the actual step, which is you have to go through a climate action process, climate action plan, where consultants come in, help bring all the players to the table in the community, help you figure out with businesses how you're going to do it. That is a huge deal. And we did that with our new council. And we had a $180,000 grant from the federal government pass through the state government, which says we're going to make this plan. And that's really the big thing, Mark, is that, you know, you're talking about a 30-year plan to run the entire community off of clean energy. It's serious. (laughs) And so that's kind of where we're at now, and that just happened in the last three months. Could you mention, Andrew, a little bit about what powers and freedoms you do have at the local level? I was wondering specifically about taxing. So what powers do you have locally in the city of Eau Claire? Our main reliance is on property tax, and that's you know where we can set most of our local taxation for our city government. There are also fees for like hotels and that sort of thing, and the state actually has an opportunity for you to set up, I believe it's like an arts district or something like that, or a travel district where you can say these number of businesses in this area are really benefiting from tourism, and so we would like to have a tax that's specific to that. I think you have to go through a state process, though, if I remember correctly. 
in order to set up such a district. Um, and then we have tax in- increment financing, our TIF districts, which you know, essentially, you know, says that in order to spur investment that will abate, you know, tax for a certain period of time before then requesting that the entities pay that tax, it's owing a wheel tax. The vehicle registration tax is another potential for our community. I mean, folks should know that the state has limited our ability to raise revenue. And even on the ones like property tax where we can, they peg a limit on it to the amount of growth your community has seen in the prior year. So it's a formula. Like if you've added a certain number of millions of dollars of new growth, then you're allowed to go up by a certain percent. You're allowed to increase property taxes by a certain percent. But the limits are there, and it really ties our hands. So while the state is cutting off our funding every year for the last 20 years, we're also not allowed to raise local revenue. And so people look around at the roads, and they look around at the parks and the amenities in the community, and they wonder, you know, why it's not better. Well, we've been restricted from all sides in terms of what we can raise. One of the things that's spoken about often, state, local, and national level, is unity. Let's all work together. We're all in this together. And it's true, we are in it together. You are acting president of the city council, and you're running to become the full president with the next election. How difficult is it to have unity, even on the local level? It's difficult. Sometimes I think certain issues create, you know, more division than, than others. And, you know, and so it's, it's hard because you want to move a community forward, but there's always going to be people who don't agree that that's the vision. And I think the biggest thing is that you still have to figure out a way to respect each other and to have a dialogue and just to realize that people are bringing their best intentions for the community forward, even if it's not yours. And then there's other issues, Mark. For example, the referendum on marijuana, where 88% of folks in our community feel like the current laws are not working. And so and there you see a lot more unity about, okay, here's the direction we need to go. Or I'll bring up the recent fundraiser that I started around uh, helping folks experiencing homelessness. And over 3,000 people chipped in to do it. And I know personally people from all sides of the political spectrum were donating to help people who were on the street during the cold. And community gardens is another one. I'm obviously, you know, more liberal-leaning, but I've worked with people who are completely opposite from me who say gardening matters because we're connecting people with food, and I agree that that's a principle we need more of. But regardless, you got to have respect across the aisle and say, I hear that you have this intention, and I know that you're bringing your best thoughts forward. Yeah, well, I do want to congratulate you about the homelessness. And when you posted it on Facebook, the fundraiser and all, I was so excited to see the way people jumped on it. Your original goal was to get some minor amount, a couple thousand dollars? Two thousand, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you went up to 40 k as the goal. I saw over 36, maybe short of 37 last time I looked. Yeah, yeah. Where did where did all of this compassion come from? I mean, minus 30 degrees, yes, but... <laughs> That's just it. I think it points to this bigger picture of a community that looks out for each other and has a place in their heart to want to lift everyone up. I think it bodes well for us looking at some of these longer-term issues that we have around inequality, housing affordability, all of these issues, that we had that kind of response. So I was so heartened to see and just thankful to see the reception that that got. One thing you mentioned about that, that homelessness, the particular fundraising that you did was for Chippewa Valley Street Ministry, and that has been housed at uh, Plymouth UCC. How well does Eau Claire work with its religious, spiritual communities and the non-spiritual ones? 
I think we need to do a better job. I have a huge amount of respect for the work that faith organizations, the churches do in our community, and whether that's Jonah or or any of the other organizations, I think there is a lot that's happening. I actually think that there's more opportunity to work closely on this. Now, I think philosophically, some people in our community would say it's not the role of our elected leaders and our government to uh, work on issues like this. But I, I don't think that's correct. I think if our intention as a community and as a democracy is to want to lift up everyone, then it's going to take faith, it's going to take local government, it's going to take business, and it's going to take organizations to do it and work together. And so I always say, Mark, that government can be a force of good if it represents our better nature. You know, I think we have that opportunity and possibility. It's one thing I've really appreciated about you. You've led really positive things for the community. If people can't agree on community gardens, then very <laughs> unfortunately there. You found a center to speak to, and you've done it with such energy. I'm just so thankful that you chose to be schooling here in UWO Claire, and that you've carried that dedication to the community forward. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for all of the work that you do at elevating these issues and sharing them with a much broader community. So I appreciate all that you do as well. And thanks for joining me for Spirit in Action. Take care. Thank you. That was Andrew Worthman, acting president of the Eau Claire City Council. He's a 10-year veteran on the council and dedicated worker to improve lives from the local community on up. We've got one more Spirit in Action member on the council, Kate Beaton, with almost three years in as city council member. We'll also bring Kate on the phone line in just a moment to talk about making change in the city. Kate, thank you so very much for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thanks, Mark. It's good to be here. So how do you like being on the City Council for Eau Claire? I love being on the Eau Claire City Council. You know, our city is so special, and it's growing in such a vibrant way, and I feel really thankful to be a part of that and to work with the community to kind of facilitate that growth. I also feel really thankful that our city council more and more is representing a wider range of demographics. I am 27 years old, and we have somebody who's in their 70s on the Eau Claire City Council, and so I love that our city council represents the wide range of ages that we have here in our city, as well as different other demographics including race and that sort of thing. So I love it. (laughs) So are you the youngest on the city council? I know Joe is on the school board and he's, what, 21 or something like that. Yes, Joe is a little younger than me, but I am the youngest on the Eau Claire City Council. I was the first elected when I was 24. What I was told was the youngest woman ever to be elected in Eau Claire. And I knew you were gifted. I sat in on a business decision-making that you had at the house where you used to live with Andrew and the other folks there. I noticed your gift for clerking that meeting, for helping run that meeting. Where did you develop those gifts that I guess essentially led you to the city council? I often think about that. I haven't pinpointed it, really. I will say my both my parents were both social workers, so I did grow up with a strong value for communication, some strong skills for communicating effectively. I also grew up in a family of social workers who raised me with a really strong set of values, and that really solidified for me, you know, an importance to fight for what's right. And so that has been a big motivating factor for me on the Oak City Council. 
I would say that not only is the city council, including more younger people, which I commend highly, but I would also say that there's been a change in sensitivity to where the focus of the city council is. Do you feel that as being part of the city council? Is that your hope, desire, aim in being part of the city council? Yeah, you know, my aim on being on the Oak Fair City Council and also my hope for our city council just as a resident of our city is that the values that are represented on the city council broadly represent the values in our city. For a long time, especially before I was elected, I saw that the Oak Fair City Council, you know, it was doing a good job. It was doing okay, but it often didn't represent the strong progressive values that I saw in the electorate, in, in the people of Oak Fair. Over the last several years, especially in the time that I've been on the city council for the last three years, I've seen that shift. And and I finally now feel that we're sort of in this place where the city council is representing those values and we're moving in a direction that the broader population would want us to be moving in. You know, that's not to say that those values and perspectives that are not quite as heavily represented in the city aren't also represented on the city council, but as a body, we're moving in a direction where the people of Eau Claire, I think, would be really happy about. And so, you know, it just clarifies to me how much elections matter, how much listening matters. We have a city council that is really takes seriously its job of listening and responding to citizens. And so I've been really pleased at the direction that the city council is moving. I'm really hoping to see that direction continue in, in the same forward-moving momentum after these elections on April 2nd. And about a year ago, there was a major change. I think things really got stepped up. Were you part of helping to focus the community in a direction to enable these progressive values that you're part of? Yeah, last year's election was a big shocker for everybody, myself included. As a progressive city council member, I had really hoped for some progressive candidates to be elected. I never dreamed that all four would be elected. (laughs) And so um, it's been a joy to work with those new council members. It's also been, you know, a challenge with a loss of historical knowledge and kind of this learning curve. And so we're all kind of getting to the point now where we're working really effectively and efficiently and, and moving towards progressive change. And so I've been really pleased about that. I will say that I I helped to make that happen in in my small little part. Certainly wasn't the only one. There was the whole community really rallied around those four progressive candidates last year to help get them elected by knocking doors and donating money and putting up yard signs. So the progressive values that you're trying to uphold, can you speak of over the past one or three years, changes that have come to Eau Claire that you've had a part in, that you were supporting, that you're particularly proud of having happened? Yeah, there are a couple of really big progressive changes that I'm just deeply proud of over the last three years. The first and and probably the biggest being City of Eau Claire's commitment to 100% clean energy by 2050. That's a goal that I championed along with acting president Worthman that we passed in 2018 unanimously. The resolution stated that the city of Eau Claire will pursue 100% renewable energy both in the city organization and citywide, so that's private use as well, so the whole city being operated on renewable energy. And I remember sitting in that meeting and just thinking that that was a really big deal. You know, this was coming at a time when climate reports were kind of rolling in and letting us know that climate change is absolutely real and definitely worse than we, we imagined. And so I'm really proud that we 
however small or big, we are doing our part locally to ensure a safe and livable future for future generations, my generation and generations after that. And so I'm so deeply proud of that. But, you know, we've done some other really cool things on the city council in the last three years, too. We banned conversion therapy for children. Another thing that I was able to champion, as we know, conversion therapy is torturous and disproven to work by all major medical institutions. And so we banned that practice in our city to protect our children from harm and to let them know that we love them just the way that they are, of course. Those are two really big things that I'm proud of. And they're big and they're flashy things that we see happening on the national scale. But we on the city council do so much kind of just day-to-day, making sure our roads are safe, making sure our bike trails are being built and upheld. We're making sure that our parks are clean. You know, all of that I see as just as essential and just as progressive in the way that we plan and manage our city in a sustainable and compassionate way. And so who is on the city council and the values that they represent matter just as much to those, what you might say, is smaller day-to-day sort of operational issues, just as much as these larger issues like climate change and human rights. One of the things that I think has changed is the increased willingness and ability of the city council to listen. You've changed a policy there. Could you talk about that? Just in this last year, we changed the policy and added an open public forum to our city council public hearings on Mondays. That means that a citizen can come in and talk about anything that they want to to the city council. Previously, citizens were restricted to talk about only items that were on our agenda. It's something that the county and the school board both do, and it was just astonishing to me that we didn't also do that. Well, I'm grateful that the city council decided to do that, and you, Kate Beaton, being part of that effort. Of course, I've already earlier spoken with Andrew Worthman and Jill Christofferson, who are both very good listeners and dynamic forces as well. One of the other things that I think that you've done in the city was the change in fees for marijuana use. And I'm curious about what the fines were like before, what penalties were like at the city level. Of course, there's still the state and the federal that you have to take into account. So what happened at the local level there? At the local level, we took the fine from a $500 fine locally for a first offense of small amount marijuana possession, like the smallest amount that you could have. We took the fine down from $500 to $1. We can't eliminate the fine based on state requirements, but we took it down to $1. And we did that because as we see our jails populating, we're actually considering in the, in the county of Eau Claire, the county board is in the middle of considering adding extra space to our jail because we are incarcerating low offense drug crimes, mostly, you know, small amount marijuana charges. And so... I see a direction moving in our country where marijuana is being legalized either medicinally or recreationally, and I see our city putting people in jail for those things that are legal in other places. You know, when you go to jail for a marijuana charge, your life is changed forever. That is happening to people of color disproportionately. Um, It's happening to people of low income disproportionately. And so I saw this vote not as a statement on whether or not I believe marijuana should be legalized or something like that, but I saw it as a move towards social justice in our city, that we're not incarcerating people who are already often marginalized for things that are legal in other parts of our country. 
Another item that I think the city is addressing, is attempting to addressing, and again, the reason I'm talking about this is because there are cities all across the United States who, if they harness their local power, could ameliorate the situation for all kinds of people locally, can really improve our communities. One area that you're trying to address is affordable housing. What's happening there? That's another thing that's kind of sprung board into action after the last election. We have a city council who unequivocally values affordable housing and values taking care of our people. And so in the last year, our city council has prolifically talked about affordable housing in our public meetings, but also out in the community with affordable housing advocates and developers and landlords and renters and people experiencing housing insecurity. And about six months ago, we started an affordable housing task force that has been studying the extent to which the problem exists in our city. And we're finding that, I think I mentioned before, 46% of people in our city are considered the working poor or kind of the working poor at best and actually homeless at worst, right? Those are people who have to make decisions every single day on life's most basic essentials. So whether to have a healthy, more expensive meal or a not-so-healthy, less-expensive meal or risk not being able to make rent. So that task force, kind of at a very base level, took a look at how can we increase housing stock across all income levels. There's a housing shortage across all income levels. And so we're doing things like changes to zoning, changes to fees for construction, making it cheaper and easier for development to just happen while also ensuring that that development is happening with integrity and happening in a smart way, right? So that's kind of the base level, but this task force in particular, this is something that's really important to me, is is looking at how can we not only facilitate more development of houses, but especially make a special focus on the development of, of specifically affordable housing. We're looking at different options like community benefit agreements and kind of a, a give and give kind of situation where a developer might agree to develop 10% of his or her apartments in their unit to be affordable And in exchange, we as a city can be more lenient on the parking requirements, for example, or the setback requirements from the roads to structure. And so we're doing things like that to kind of look at the ways that we can make special focus on affordable housing. Now, there are a lot of things that our city can't do because the state prohibits a municipality from doing those things, like rent control. So those are things that we can't really overcome. But there are a lot of different, smaller, and more creative ways that we can facilitate the development of affordable housing in our city. And we were actually presented with 22 policy recommendations from this affordable housing task force a few weeks ago that the city will be considering now in the next couple months over the next several years. Again, folks, we're speaking with Kate Beaton, who for three years now has been a member of the city council in Eau Claire. I'm curious for you listeners out there what your situation is with your city, if you've harnessed your local power for the good of all people in the way that Eau Claire has stepped forward and done. A couple more questions, Kate. By the way, one of the resources that you might be interested in, I interviewed a woman named Jill Shook back in 2015. She's been at the head of affordable housing locally where she lives over in California, and she has done some amazing research bringing together affordable housing alternatives that certainly you could do worse than to listen to my interview (laughs) with Jill Shook about affordable housing models. And there's a book that she published about it that would be a rich resource as well. 
There's just a couple other items I wanted to address. You mentioned bicycling and that that goes into the planning for the city. I, of course, know that Jeremy is part of the city council and his advocacy. I've interviewed him previously as well. What part is bicycling playing in the plans for Eau Claire? The city of Eau Claire takes really seriously bicycle planning. We have a lot of bicycle plans in our comprehensive plan that is a 10-year document that guides the direction of our city. And, and in that document, you know, just as one example, we have a plan to, over the next several years, if not even decades, we have a plan to connect bicycle trails all up and down the rivers in our city. And so that's a value that I think is rooted partly in recreation and health and community connectivity, but also alternative transportation and giving people a way to get from one place to another in our city with their bicycle rather than their car. Of course, that's an issue that is related to sustainability and not emitting fossil fuels. It's, a really, it's an issue related to, um, you know, addressing some parking issues that we have in our city. It's an issue related to ensuring that you know, folks who can't afford to own a car can also have easy access to getting around on their bicycle. And it's one thing that makes Eau Claire such a desirable city from my point of view. I moved here 31 years ago and have seen a steady stream, particularly over the last 10 years, of good developments in the city that I know that you, Kate, have been part of, Andrew, Jill, and so many other good people working to make this city the best place it could be, especially considering our frigid temperatures. There's a lot of positive to outweigh any minus 20 degrees sieges that we have. <laughs> Yeah. So I want to thank you for being part of that effort, for stepping forward, for being youngest member of the city council that we know of. And I just think that there's such wonderful future ahead for us because of your kind of energy. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you for the kind words, Mark. And it's definitely reassuring and refreshing to hear that as we take on these big issues and, and try to make positive change in our community. Thanks for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thank you. Having heard from Kate Beaton, Andrew Worthman, and Jill Christofferson for Spirit in Action today, I hope you're stoked for the possibilities of important change through local power and finding your way in it. There are numerous bonus excerpts from the three interviews that didn't fit in this broadcast, so find them and listen at nordenspiritradio.org. Heartfelt thoughts go to Kate, Andrew, Jim, as today's guests, and also to Catherine Thomas for some tremendous production assistance. We'll see you all next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, we will move this world along, and our lives will feel the echo of our healing.